Hello, dear listener, and welcome back Beyond the Sofa. I'm Dave. And I'm very disappointed. Oh, God. (laughs) Hello, Peter. I listened to a podcast today, Dave. Oh, God. I listened to Blue Box podcast, episode 270, in which it was said that Beyond the Sofa doesn't have a social media presence. Explain. Well, we are pretty shabby at it. No, no. <laughs> I'm pretty shabby at it, and they were asking me, and I got it wrong. You're a bad, bad person, Dave. I'm on Twitter every day. Oh, God. Welcome, everybody, to a very special episode of Beyond the Sofa. Dave is going to lead from here. <laughs> oh, I do apologise. <laughs> oh, that, that's, that about sums where my week has been up quite cool. <laughs> Okay, dear listener, first things first, well, second things first, or first things second. In reverse order. Oh, dear. Next week... Well, next time on Beyond the Sofa, we are going to be reviewing the film Attack the Block because there are some cast members in it that are now interesting. We've both always wanted to see it. Mm. Um, And before we divert completely and mildly away from our usual Doctor Who shenanigans, we thought we'd better put this intro at the front of the show just so you know that if you'd like to send us feedback or drop us a line about the film, Please do so. It's not going to be a commentary. We're going to watch it and we're going to just have a chat about it yep. and read out any feedback we get. Hmm. But if you'd like to do that, by the 27th of August, drop us a line at sofageddon at gmail.com. That's sofageddon, one F, one G, two Ds, at gmail.com. Or drop us a line on Facebook. Or if your opinion really only lasts about 140 characters, you can tweet us at sofageddon. Yes, I'm rather looking forward to it. I've heard really good things about Attack the Block. Yes. And, of course, I only know two cast members in it, which is, you know, Jodie Whittaker and John Boyega. I have a funny feeling it'll be one of those English films you say, um, oh, it's him. Or oh, her, or, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I remember when it came out, I remember some interesting comments made about it at the time, which I'll keep my powder dry on cool. till we see it. But apart from that, I'm coming into it completely green, apart from maybe watching a trailer and thinking that looked quite neat. Haven't even seen a trailer. How was your week, Peter, apart from falling off your chair when you listen to a podcast? Well, I was on the bus, but okay. Yeah, busy week uh, as usual, although um, somewhat unusually, over the weekend, sadly, uh, attended a a funeral, first funeral of a friend. So I've reached that point in life, and uh, there we are. It was an occasion to sort of catch up with some old muckers and... uh, and uh, surprise some old teachers who were also at the funeral. Um, But uh, otherwise, uh, you know, a a lovely day, but one of those sort of lovely, sad days, Mm -hmm. really. Mm. And and that's about it, really. I think, uh, how about you, Dave? Uh, Well, I've had a monstrous case of the flu, which has left me not for six for the better part of this week. Yikes. But as you have commented, didn't knock me for six enough to stop myself making a fool of myself on someone else's podcast. Nope. Appearing on the Blue Box podcast with uh, J.R. Southall, Daniel from New to Who, and Nathan from Flight Through Eternity. You're too hard on yourself. I think I think all three Antipodeans acquitted themselves very, very well, but my brain hurt towards the end. As a friend of the pod, Johnny Park, would say, 
Ah ha ha ha, 30 minutes into Blue Box Podcast and so much, Dave. <laughs> I've come to believe that you work on multiple time streams at once. Um, and so fortunately, I think the answer is no, I only work on one time stream, just with no filter. Oh, dear. Time flows backwards over me. <laughs> I swear. Well, maybe it's just my workmates getting younger. It's a very interesting podcast. I, I did enjoy doing it, but I, I came to the end of it thinking I may have just been a little bit too gobby. But on a happier note with me and Doctor Who, I am now nearly a Nigerian TV station. Ooh, do tell. Another friend of the pod, Hugo Pearson, contacted us and asked if we could put a call out for Stuart Humphrey's Babel Colour. Because Stuart, if you've not seen it, has done sterling work over the years doing YouTube videos, exceptionally well done stuff, um, hand-coloured and painted black and white episodes to colourise them. He actually got involved with colourisation projects for the BBC. Mm -hmm. Mind of Evil. That's the one. But he was actually after some of his early stuff on YouTube, which has vanished. It's just, Mm. you know, the internet fell away, the masters got wiped pages got deleted, what have you. So there are about 10 or 11 of his early videos that have just completely vanished off the internet. And you can find a list of them on his homepage. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. But the thing is, when I was presented with the list, I had one. Ooh. It was a colorization one he did fairly early on. And um, I was so impressed I'd copied it, put it on a DVD I was burning anyway, and um, threw it in a cupboard. <laughs> so I, I have returned it. I, I would not dare say I am a Phil Morris in the situation because it was my cupboard. But yeah, I'm now in a Nigerian TV station. It just so happened the wind was blowing in the right direction that day, wasn't it? Dave? Yes. Uh, so uh, I think Babel Colour is producing an anniversary video very shortly, which will have a selection of all their old hits in it. So one of them, thankfully, is found. And if you might have some out there, dear listener, backed up, cached somewhere, I don't know how you'd find such a thing. But if you do, I'm sure he'd be delighted to hear from you. Um, That'll be on the Babel Colour webpage. Mm, Fantastic area of YouTube. It's a shame that um, there are some real perlers of YouTube that have just disappeared either through rights or just being eaten by the internet. I think one of the early things that you and I might have guffawed over was someone overdubbing the headphones scene from The Invasion with some Celine Dion or something. (laughs) (laughs) Cybermen going mad in the background. And uh, Celine Dion sort of fading in as he approaches. <laughs> it's gone. Lost for the ages. Well, is it gone or is it just the case that it's somewhere on the internet, but there's so much crap on the internet, no one would ever know where it is? Oh, I think there's stuff there to be found. I, I, I had to had to really look, but I eventually found part one of, of Farmageddon's Five Doctors spoof. Oh, right, yes. Part two still on YouTube, but part one isn't. So it's... Is weird. Uh, the other thing that's that's still lost and, and and long lamented. There are plenty of versions around it, but you know the way it is. You you spent ages trying to find the one that you first heard and were really impressed and blown away with, and it was all of the then Doctor Who themes mm-hmm. synced up perfectly. And as I say, there are so many versions, but none of them strike the right note, literally, as as this one does. And you know, came, it went down because of rights, and it's just the way it is. You know, we're mm. dealing with somebody else's program, which is almost a theme of this podcast. Well, that's true. I mean, we, and as many many's the time I've put dropped a, a wee tune at the front of an episode and worried if we'd get a legal notice saying, please take that down. Maybe not even with a please. But yes. No, <clears throat> no, it'll never happen, Dave, because our social media presence is so poor, remember? Yeah, uh, well, mm, I don't think I'll ever be allowed to forget. <laughs> 
speaking of other interesting things on Doctor Who, I've, I've discovered a few new podcasts and maybe we should have a other podcast special at some point. Mm. But uh, maybe a very quick shout out to the Doctor Who on Target podcast, who do a podcast about the Target novelizations. Excellent idea. Uh, um, and I've listened to a couple of the more recent ones and they're, they're, they're quite good, very engaging, mm-hmm. uh, and with some quite interesting and insightful observations for the stories they're in. So if you're looking for another way to waste your life, <laughs> listening to Who wasn't? <laughs> There's another one to possibly add to your lists. So it's like a, um, a target book club? Sort of thing, yes, but they, I think they concentrate mostly on the more recent BBC audiobooks releases, readings of the novelisations. But as much as I enjoy them, I have to be honest, I'm not actually going out and rereading the books before mm. I listen to an episode. So. The mileage may vary, and I do apologise, dear listener, if my voice slowly fades out. I'm just a bit croaky today. <laughs> just a mild touch of karma. Yes, there you go. Hmm. Or, or karma. That'll that'll. <laughs> R.I.P. Victor Pemberton. Mm, yes, very sad news. I never had any dealings with them, but there are various fans across the internet who are playing tribute. A most generous and um, approachable. Yes. Hmm. I confess, I, I'm still unfamiliar with Fury from the Deep. I've listened to the Pescatons probably more times than is necessary, but not Fury of the Deep. It's one of those ones where, the, you know, you see these really interesting, scary images that are all that's left of the story because they were cut by the Australian censors. Hmm. It's another thing with that Who's on Target podcast. They end up talking a lot more about missing episodes. I mean, the last episode was on the Highlanders, and part of the thing is, well, you've got this book, how does it match up yeah how could it have tied up with the tv series and would it have been as good as the words make it sound in your head mm. and fury of the deep is another one of those and this that's you know the bulk of the trout era really was fury from the deep one of those harder to find targets as well yes yeah. well, at least it was in new zealand but um you got to remember that was in the 80s when hard to find in new zealand was limited by your hometown and your holiday location true very true Unlike the rest of the Who internet, I haven't yet looked at Jodie Whittaker's interview. Uh, have you caught it yet? No, I haven't. Um, I've lined up a copy of the hospital drama she's currently in called Trust Me. Trust Me. Mm. But I haven't watched it yet. Uh, it's something I'll sit down with my wife to see if we can find a neutral ground between Doctor Who and Grey's Anatomy. Mm. Good idea. But moving on from Jodie Whittaker, because I think the internet probably needs to take a step back and have a deep <laughs> breath. Speaking of lost episodes and missing stories, many, many months ago, Peter and I recorded an episode for the 2000th edition of the comic book 2000 AD. Mm. Now, due to various technical hiccups, difficulties, and foobars, that never got released until now. (laughs) So, as a bit of a palate cleanser, um, you know, if you're not into it, you can stop here. Here's a slice of the past as Peter and I discuss the galaxy's greatest comic and its recent birthday celebrations a wee bit late. With no further ado, and looking forward to hear your comments on Attack the Block, we'll leave you to ourselves from right at the start of this year. Splendid Vertig. I was a Mean Arena fan when I was a Rogue Trooper fan. Finn, Robo Hunter, Button Man, <laughs> Armored Gideon. Mac One. <laughs> Not back one. (laughs) 
Fung Erklitz. It's Peter speaking. And it's Dave. And welcome back beyond the sofa. In this sofa sode, we're going to dispense from the usual format of waffling on about Doctor Who and occasionally other things, and we're going to talk about the galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, which recently issued its 2000th prog or issue. This year, 2000 AD turns 40, which makes me feel very old indeed, although I'm not a prog one, there's a special term for those. Um, I am a squawk stick saga. Um, I've been a reader of 2000 AD for many years, since the early 80s. I think I can remember my first prog, but you can bet your bottom dollar that even though I'm not a reader much these days, or <clears throat> not outside the newsagent, I did buy prog 2000, because I simply had to have my hands on it. And what a great wee treasure trove it is. Did you get it yourself, Dave? I have a digital copy, mainly because I couldn't find one. When we were growing up, comics were something that you'd buy from the newsagents mm. and now try and find a newsagents. Yeah, I was explaining that to Danny. We recently sort of opened up a box of stuff that Dad had delivered up from Omaru. And in one of the boxes were some of my old comics. And there was a Donald Duck one and a Scrooge McDuck. And there was a Casper the Friendly Ghost, which he's really into. Dead Richie Rich. He seems to be quite these bit on Harvey Comics characters overall, so he knows oh, who. Oh, that's, cool. that's cool. Yeah, and he knows Spooky, and he knows Casper, and yeah. And we looked at a Jeep ad the other day, and I said, "You know that Jeep is named after a comic character?" And he said, "No," and I said, "From a comic called Sad Sack," and he said, "That's by Harvey Comics." <laughs> and I thought, "Uh oh." oh but yes, it is. But he was saying, "Where did you get these from?" And I said, "Well, I bought them from a dairy." Back in the day, you could buy these sorts of things from dairies. And it's right. It was a bit nervous leading up to Prog 2000, which came early December uh, Mm -hmm. here in Wellington. I was really worrying. There seem to be pretty much just two shops in town that do 2000 AD now. And I'm not doing them any favours by not buying from them or buying very, very intermittently. So I was really wondering whether Prog 2000 was going to reach the shores. Uh, But it did. And a little bit more of an investment than your standard Prog. A lot more pages of course but it's a wee cracker i i really enjoyed it unlike you i am sort of a prog winner but it's by cheating Mm. Uh, when i was about eight i went and stayed with my granddad my uncle's eight years older than i am and he had a collection of 2080s starting with prog one fantastic eventually he gave it sold them at a garage sale he gave me one free but it was one from the bottom of the stack but i have these vague memories of these stories i sort of half read some dreads. I can remember the day the law died and Slicey Slicey and a couple of future shocks. Mm. But then my comics was more sort of look and learn and eagle. I always had an interest in 2000 AD, but I mainly picked it up from the monthly collections they'd do in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. That's right. And then, like yourself, reading them on a shelf on and off for about a decade. Yeah. But with Prog 2000 coming up, I actually made an effort to try and read all of the dreads. Wow. And then realized that the reason lots of things weren't making sense is because they did that cheeky thing where if they didn't split the stories between 2000 AD and its sister publication, the magazine, the character arcs would be split between 2000 AD and the Judge Dredd magazine. So Mm. I'm now going through the process of rereading the magazines, and I'm about halfway through. I've just got up to Hill Trekkers. Right. Thinking your view. (laughs) I like Hell Trekkers. There are a couple of things I was thinking about just looking in 2018, and one of them was that this prog does revisit a lot of classic characters. And I was, was going to put to you, outside of the ones that do feature, would there have been a classic character you'd have liked to have seen? Because my idea was, yeah, actually, you could do Hell Trekkers again, and you could do it quite differently for a different audience these days. 
listeners, um, Hell Trek is, is simply, it's a wagon train through Judge Dredd's cursed earth. And the thing to know with Judge Dredd and 2000 AD and the, the wider thing is actually a lot of the stories over the years have been brought in together and interconnected. So technically it's all different parts of a similar universe. Not essentially always the same. There are mm. ones that are clearly different or ostensibly appear to be different, but then you'll have a strip by Pat Mills, who's <laughs> prolific at doing this kind of thing, where all of a sudden this story from 30 years ago and this story from 20 years ago and this thing they've been running suddenly sort of all mesh together and that's where this character comes from and it's a satirical communist manifesto pastiche. Yes, against the Catholic Church or state educations or something, yeah. Basically, a character becomes Richard Branson even though he was being published 10, 15 years before Richard Branson was a thing. So, Rick Horn is amazing in it. <laughs> it is something that the original Tharg, Pat Mills, does a lot. Yeah. It doesn't always do skillfully, but certainly he's the chief offender, shall we say. For listeners who don't know, Tharg is the mythical editor who's... Mythical. ...who's sort of run the magazine since it started. So it's a pseudonym for whoever's in charge. Hmm. There's been a New Zealand Tharg. With a Doctor Who link, of course, mm. um, Mr. David Bishop. The influence of 2000 AD is quite significant. It's the only British comic of what was once a booming industry to still be around, with the possible exception of the children's comic, The Beano. Yeah, the thing we've got to, talk, to keep in mind here is 2000 AD is an anthology comic. Mm. It's a weekly thing of a couple of pages per story. You know, when you're a kid, you spend your pocket money, you buy it every week. Mm. Detective Comics and Action Comics did start as anthologies, but Detective Comics as a line now isn't anthology, and I don't think Action Comics is either. But in terms of British culture and things like Doctor Who, 2000 was very influential on things like the Sayward Cartmel era. Oh, hand in hand. Yeah, the Andrew Cartmel's idea of, um, I want to use the series to take down the government, is something that Pat Mills was working on. <laughs> No, the first episode, 2080, they had a yeah. story called Invasion, where they shot Margaret Thatcher on the steps of the Parliament. Mm -hmm. So very edgy, very influential, because lots of people went from 2080 to the British invasion in America and became the founding of modern... Comic sensibility. Yeah, it, uh, Alan Moore, people like that. Got the, mm. Alan Moore got started writing the short future shock, one shot, one episode things in 2080. But we're way off track. Let's focus on issue 2000. To reflect back to me, 2080 lost me in the 90s because of the output of some of those artists who went on to be part of the British invasion, the Grant Morrisons, the Mark Millers, the Garth Ennis's. Mm. I felt that the way they were treating the 2080 characters, in other words, the characters they hadn't created themselves was very shoddy and just not respecting the, the tradition of the characters. I think they were just being ultra-violent for the sake of being ultra-violent. They, they, they were losing satirical each to be shocking. I think the, the thing that sums that up for me, and if we just move into the Prog 2000, the first story proper in Prog 2000 is Judge Dredd meets Johnny Up for the Strontium Dog mm -hmm. for a time travel sort of heisty thing. Yep. Johnny Alpha began as this character who was, he's a mutant. And it was a very sideways comment on racism. He's a bounty hunter because that's the only job you can get. And bounty hunters are third or fourth class citizens. But as the series progressed, it turned into other things. And now one of the secondary characters there, Middenface McNutley, there's a series called Young Middenface about him growing up. And it's basically train spotting. Yes. Well, it sees that hot wire of what Irvine Walsh called jocksploitation. In, yeah. in the mid 90s so plunkett and mclean train spotting the acid house well, hamish mcbeth maybe 
And it's interesting that for Prog 2000, they've gone for traditional stories in a traditional way, even down to how the, the heist goes down in the story. Mm. It's a classic Strontium dog style rather than a classic Judge Dredd style. Oh, yes. Yeah, so Dredd's second banana in it. So it's Dredd put into a Strontium dog story. The last time they met, Judge Dredd mega epic called Judgment Day, where yes. Johnny Alpha was planted in the middle of a Judge Dredd story, and he was the fish out of water. Yeah. But this is John Wagner, so he's he's the co-creator of Johnny Alpha mm. and arguably the godfather of Judge Dredd. Art by Carlos Esquera. It's a lovely thing to hold in your hands. And probably what we should be saying about 2000 AD is that all of these strips are introduced by a one-pager where Tharg, in character, talks a bit about the comic and talks mm. a bit about the story coming up. And leading into that, it's a one-pager, and it's art by Brian Bolland. Beautiful to see him draw and dread again. And classic Mega City 1, pre-knocking it down several times. Yes. <laughs> so that's the Dread um, Strontium Dog, full colour. Just a bit of fun. Well, just if we can backtrack a wee bit. We assume you, if you're going to read it, you've read it. The villain in the Judge Dread story mm. is Cal. Judge Cal. Caligula. Who is... One, you know, it was one of the earliest, they call them mega-epic stories, stories that went on and on about how this corrupt judge who judged the judges took over and is mad as a bat. Hmm. They were very satirical. They had things like people being pickled alive and the, a, a fish becoming a judge and stuff. It, you compare that with Weird Red Sits with just a couple of stories previously where they killed off PJ maybe spoilers. <laughs> yes, spoilers. <laughs> and um, again, Cal is like this weird touchstone to go back to because he's from a time when the series was not as realistic and was more openly Gonzo. allegorical. And I just found it really odd that it's Cal again because Cal's turned up a couple of times, even mm. though he was quite comprehensively killed and thrown off a big building. Mm. Yeah, just, I find it odd that every so often 2000 AD, not only does it here we've got cycling back to Cal, but as you said, cycles back to the classic characters. And while there's an element of, they are the classic characters, it's mm. a bit like doing a Doctor Who special with only Hartnell and Troughton in it. There is almost this acknowledgement that there's this period from the mid-80s to today where classic stuff doesn't happen. There are some noticeable gaps in this issue. And, and they and some, do acknowledge them. Some of them are acknowledged and some of them are slightly papered over. And, and yeah. I think the, the choice of strips in this is quite telling. So mm. next, our next lead-in page is artwork by Mike McMahon, but he's referencing Slane. The comic strip is Nemesis the Warlock, so Pat Mills with Kevin O'Neill. Original creator, original artist. Mm -hmm. But the thing I found with Nemesis is Nemesis ended, and it ended on a very... Reichenbach. Yeah, but it ended in a way that they actually said, look, Nemesis isn't the good guy. Nemesis is just the flip side of the bad guy. Yeah. And it doesn't need a coda. Well, the thing about this, this coda is it pretty much just sets them back on course again. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually it's almost like a reboot. It's an interregnum. <laughs> and talk about as they're falling through time. And don't get me wrong, it's lovely to see it. And I think Nemesis is a classic character. Mm. But it was closed off mid-90s. Mm -hmm. There was a point where book seven, book eight, and they had an artist who I just loathed doing it. And John Hicklinson? Possibly. The one who did the two talk of artists. Yes. And it, it sort of vanished up its own orifice a bit. And it went to the modern day and talk of became a skinhead. It was all very yeah. prescient. And I think it, because of that, it, it, to me, it took it away from the fantastic, which is what I liked about Nemesis. 
And they've very much gone back to that with what they've done here. Slain is another one. I don't know if you've seen any of the more recent Slains. Mm-hmm. I can't read the new Slains. I can read the old ones because I can even read the stuff where they go all H.P. Lovecraft and cross time wastes and stuff. But the new Slains are just... It's an interesting thing to harken back to when you've changed it so much. I found mm. it odd. It's a funny experience reading this because it's looking so back into the past. Yeah, I don't know. As we go through the issue, we're nearly halfway through. There's less of that looking back. As I say, it's a, it's a bit of a sort of a, a hiccup on, as you say, the trajectory they've already gone on. Um, it's just nice to see the, the team up again. Oh, it is, and it's and, and it is the classic gothic underworld that Nemesis always was involved in. Of termite, yeah. All these sort of strange clan members with hoods and crooks and maces and you know spaceships run on molten steel and stuff. It is the classic way it's put together. Mm. But you're not looking at the end of Nemesis, you're looking at the start of Nemesis there. The one thing I would say is that sadly, for all of that chicanery and loopiness, uh, after 20 to 30 years of Games Workshop and everybody else pilfering Pat Mills and Kevin O'Neill's very fertile imaginations, a lot of that stuff just doesn't look as radical anymore. Nemesis hasn't looked like this for 30 years. Nemesis hasn't been in the comic for 20 years. Mm. They got Kev O'Neill in two right to, to do the very last story, which yeah. was pretty much like a two-parter. Actually, I think it was Prog 1000, they brought Zenith back for a one-off. Grant Morrison wrote it, Steve Yeowell illustrated it, but it won't Zenith anymore. <laughs> no, and that's the thing. You know, Zenith closed with Zenith realising he was a grown-up now. Yeah, and, and Grant Morrison going to the States and taking his product with them yeah but it hit its end and it stopped so you couldn't Mm. really bring it back and the other example i'd give for that is bad company Mm -hmm. and recently they brought bad company back but they brought it back and and the continuity was all screwed up and it just seems so cack-handed because it didn't stick on the end of you know the arrett story Mm. you know thrax was in it thrax died thrax died in a way that gave his story meaning so you have Thrax turning up going, hi guys, I haven't had my meds today. I didn't follow the story. I wanted to. It was Pete Milligan, the, the, yes. the original writer back. Rufus Daglow did the artwork. I mean, sadly, we'd lost Brett Ewens. Mm-hmm. But I must go back and revisit it. Um, actually, Bad Company gets referenced in the next interstitial strip. It does, along with all the classic Space War stories like mm. the VC, well, not even yep. Space Wars, there's the Fiends of the Western Front yes. as well, and the Norts. But again, that's the classic Arat bad company with Mad Tommy. I can't remember what the robot's called. And the sort of effectively voodoo doctor guy. Warbanger. That's correct. That's right. But then we go into essentially a rogue trooper story. But again, it's a rogue trooper story chasing the traitor. Mm. Which is the classic rogue trooper theme where there's this guy who's caused the death of an entire infantry. And the last man goes after him. And I've never read the end of that, I must admit. But I know there is an end. But all mm-hmm. the Rogue Trooper stuff, that's the classic period. That's acknowledged. That everything mm. that sort of came afterwards was really shooting a dear good horse. Mm. Um, to the extent that when they have done real to honest Rogue Trooper, it's set before he finally gets his revenge on the traitor general who mm. killed all of his mates. I know I'm sounding like I'm begrudging them playing the old classics, but we're talking about the old classics. Well, I, have a, I still have a soft spot for Rogue because... While a lot of people would say that Dread got them into the comic, I think if I, this is the other thought I had over the weekend, is that my very first progs had Rogue Trooper on the front, and I think he was my entry point to 2000 AD. Mm-hmm. And then Dread followed, and then mm-hmm. Nemesis the Warlock, and then Slain. So I can't dislike him too much. I can certainly dislike what they did to him after the traitor general. 
But I must admit, I've I've really been impressed more recently in the progs with Jaeger, which is the story of the, the, the war that road troopers involved in from the point of view of the other side. The noughts. And it's sort of like the anti-road trooper, because road trooper is a genetically modified infantryman, and Jaeger's about the person who goes out the genetic abnormalities in the nought army. Mm-hmm. And then we move on to our next thug. Interstitial um, artwork by Robin Smith. Mm-hmm. who's inked a lot of 2080 titles. But then the next story is Anderson, Judge Anderson. But in, in that interstitial, we have our friends, the Helltrickers. And Sam Slade, Robo Hunter. And Walter. And Mean Machine. Who recently, I believe, was written out. I believe, did Mean die? I think he might have done. Yeah, and his son took him away and stuff. Where they're going with it, I don't know, because it was sort of another thing I find with, with modern 2080 is they tend to write stories in little bursts, then go away, have a different story, then write a story in another burst. It's very rare nowadays, unless it's a dread story, to have a story that actually goes in a single run from beginning to end. Mm. They do seem to do them in installments. So I've I've read the start of the installment where Mean is buried, but I'm not sure if that's the end of the story or if it's they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Because that's the other thing with 2000 AD. They can leave things hanging for years. Yeah, um, that's why I'm not convinced that the PJ Maybe thing's genuine. (laughs) I got a funny feeling it might be because the character feels like he's gone as far as he can go. He was, became mayor and he, he was the lead into various stories and stuff. I wouldn't be sad if it was the end. It's a bit like River Song and Doctor Who. Hmm. That's your end. That's fine. That's nicely closed off. A bit like Zenith and Bad Company. There's a point where it might be flocking a dead horse, which is a bit hmm. where I'm at with ABC Warriors and building Savage into it. Now, it's sort of like, uh, yeah, but I don't know if there's that much more of a story there. Good on you if there is, but... Um, mm. And in that page, we also have the Dark Judges who get rolled out with regular bat. Yes, in fact, Death appears in the Judge Anderson story, mm. which is Alan Grout, um, co-creator of Judge Anderson, and David Roach, who's yes. done a few Anderson stories. Engram is one I remember. David Roach has a, a talent for drawing ladies nicely. I think the first time I encountered David Roach was when he did the Purity Story in Nemesis. Yes, he did. He did Purity Story, and he's um, done some artwork recently for the Doctor Who magazine as well. Oh, okay. So I he's know a bit, of a, bit of a jobbing artist. Well, again, all these people are well known because it's a very small pool in the UK for comic artists. I think hmm. if you're any good, very much the classic Anderson goes into the Matrix dreamscapey yep. thing and and confronts. Judge Dreth, who's always around, and actually he, he does a good death. No, he does. It's it's very Bolland-like. He doesn't over-egg the pudding like some of the at least some of the '90s artists did, where you know suddenly he had big fangs and it looked a whole lot more feral. This is his very toothy grin, um, yeah. portcullis face. It's it's great. It's very solid. I I must admit, Death is a character. He either works, and here he works, or he they they play him a bit too camp or a bit too self-aware, mm. which is interesting because you know he was human and there is a level of awareness there. But when they're doing things like they've they've done a few of them now, going back to see Dead World, you know how Death took over and what he did there, and you're sort of sitting there going, yeah, but I I know how the story ends, and there's only so much you know red splashed across a muddy brown mm. page I can take. Yep. So the next interstitial artwork by Colin McNeil, who's changed his style a bit. He's got a bit sort of cleaner, less filling shading and that kind of thing in his artwork, but I still really like it. Mm. Um, a classic dread artist, but also an artist for Strontium Dog. Mm-hmm. 
comic strips referenced here that, that they specifically this is where they start to reference missing people and, and it's the 90s the big bad 90s era of 2000 yeah. AD so it looks like it's the space girls yeah I've not read space girls I'm aware of it from watching documentaries like thrill power overload oh I mean future shock yeah yeah mm. And where basically people just go Space Girls and then shudder. <laughs> yeah, Valkyries was another one. It's basically when 2080s started to get very laddish, very mm. sexed up, and it didn't work. Mm. We're saying this following the pretty ladies drawn in the, the Judge Anderson <laughs> strip. I think a lot of it is not... Anderson's always been her own woman, and Anderson has always been able to be in the driving seat. Although I must admit, I was looking at the Anderson comic because there's a friend of hers in it. And Anderson's friends never have a good run of luck. No. <laughs> Being a friend of Anderson, unless you're dread, um, Anderson's friends will usually come to a sticky end. Mm -hmm. so. Yep. So, yes, we have Space Girls. We have Nikolai Dante, who is a Hooray. character. Yep. I'm surprised they didn't have more about him there because I've not read any of the comics. I've read some of the novels. But he seemed to be the character who stuck the landing in the late 90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And he was popular. And again, his story came to an apparent end. I've, I've not read it. It was all wrapped up, tied in a bow. Yeah, but like Rogue Trooper, you can plug stories in there. Mm. While he's not one of my favourites, I'm surprised he's one who didn't have more of a feature. Yeah, it might be Robbie Morrison just having more to do stateside. Possibly. So also referenced here, we've got um, John Smith's um, Indigo Prime. Yes. There's Alan McKenzie's Bradley, which is interesting, Alan McKenzie. Oh! I thought it was Clown. No, you're no, right, it's Bradley. It's, it's Bradley. Um, I blotted that out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a Hewligan's haircut, which is a lovely Jamie Hewlett, Pete Milligan strip, sort of around about the time of early Tank Girl. And mm -hmm. just behind them, one of my, my guilty favourites is Armoured Gideon. This was just as I was sort of falling out of regularly viewing the prog. I remembered Armoured Gideon. I do remember quite enjoying the killing time story from Indigo Prime. Mm -hmm. But Bradley left me cold, and I don't even remember Hooligan's haircut. But Indigo Prime, again, one of those stories where it vanishes off the screen for 20 years or vanishes off the page for 20 years, and then all of a sudden at the end of a weird three-parter, these two guys turn up and, oh, it's actually an Indigo Prime story. Yes. Uh, and then there's um, a, a couple of panels where they very cheekily and, and rightly acknowledge uh, the David Bishop era of Thargdom, where he tried to supplant Tharg himself with sort of men in black X-Files type characters. Mm. They get the door slammed in their face. <laughs> and again, very much zeitgeist of the time. Yeah. In fairness, and it's sort of, I'm probably complaining about things too much because I do enjoy it, but you've got to love something to really poke holes in it. Mm-hmm. That would have been a time when they had to find a new audience. They had to make things more current and valid because while we can look at this old nostalgia now and we can revel in it being old nostalgia, they had to find a new market and it couldn't be your dad's or your uncle's 2080 anymore. That no. wasn't how the 90s worked. Mm. But it was just so many other things going on at the same time. It just seemed too hard. Um, well, as, as with most things in the 90s, it, it, it's, it's like, yes, it's a good idea, but tone it down a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't. And we then lead into the, some of the prime exponents of that sinister Dexter, who I've just never got. I just don't. 
Dead no, Sinister Dexter. I never got either. They seem to run hot and cold at the readership, but they mm-hmm. are certainly the survivors of that era. Um, mm. they, they've outlasted uh, Nikolai Dante. Mm. And here they are, Dan Abnett writing them again. Of course, anybody can illustrate Sinister Dexter, although Simon Davis is one of the, the big illustrators of them. This uh, strip, I confess I haven't read it. It's Mark Sexton is the artwork. The Sinister Dexter, there, there are two hitmen. One is Sinister, one is Dexter, which is Latin mm-hmm. for left and right. Mm-hmm. They appear to have some form of supernatural power, time travel link, but I've never got it. It's one of those things, you, if you've missed the boat, you've got, got to make a real effort to get back on, and I'd rather go off and reread all The Preacher or read Charlie's War. Or the, in the magazine, they'd go through a swathe of reprinting old stories, and if they did Sinister Dexter there, I might do it, but at the moment I'm reveling in other stuff. But it's very much Preacher of the Mold of Preacher. It's that kind of world where... It's the world, but there's stuff just slightly out of place. And the most out of place thing here is it's got Billy Piper in it. Very much Billy Piper. She's even called Billy. (laughs) And I tell a lie, there's one panel there illustrated by Simon Davis, and he completely fails to get Billy Piper's likeness. (laughs) To be honest, I wonder if that panel's actually cut from an earlier Sinister Dexter story. Because the idea is it's a memory flashback or something. And the the whole point is the Billy Piper character is the sister of the other one. Demi Octavo, yeah. Yeah, I, or, or maybe not. I'm not sure. Not the end. So this is another story where they're rebooting stuff or redoing things. And yeah, I, I've got to be honest, this is the one, like you, I sort of, my eyes glossed over it a wee bit. Mm. Wasn't my 2000 AD. So into the modern day, the last interstitial page is illustrated by Boo Cook. He's one of my favourite the recent artists. Lots of modern era characters there. But the curious thing is when they say modern era, we're talking from 2000 on. Mm, definitely. We're talking about nearly half of the 40-year life of the magazine sort of relegated to this page. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But from here on in, there's a new story. So Yeah, we've got, we've got Shikara, Lobster Random, Amy from Low Life, which is one of the Judge Dredd spin-offs. We've got Zombo, Kingdom. Behind Amy, there's actually my favourite Judge Dredd secondary character. Probably more important than Anderson to me now, Dirty Frank. Oh, there he is. He yes. is. He's, he's being thumped by Gene Hackman from Kingdom. And behind them all, Sensitive Clegg. Oh, Sensitive Clegg. <laughs> sensitive Clegg, how I love thee. There's the accountant judge who's done a lot in the more some of the more interesting dread stories yeah. recently. Empty Crucis, Harry Kipling, I think. Where, sorry? Empty Crucis is, is in a sort of a checkered blazer with a monocle below sensitive Clegg and then to his left with a drink in his hand is Mr Kipling those guys I don't know I I know to the right of them you've got you've got the guy out of Brink you've got Harry Absalom and you've got Warden Standing Bitchface from Grey Area and you've also got Robot Lawyer P14 and oh where's he uh, he's, he's just in between Amy and Stickleback oh right Stickleback yes and we've got oh what's his name um, Defoe Defoe, yes. Who's the guy with the red eyes? That's Shakara. Uh, Robbie Morrison and Henry Flint. Utter lunacy, very, very imaginative. And uh, very much in the vein, I thought, of early Nemesis. It was, it was almost before the whole character of Nemesis got unraveled and everything. Oh, Shakara okay. is just this sort of faceless, single-line person who just comes in and causes chaos. Basically Deadpool for the 2080s, almost. Without the knowing humour, mm. It's lovely stuff. I don't know who the tanky thing is, but on the bottom of the panel, I, I'm, I'm guessing it's Blackhawk. No, that's Aquila. Aquila, that's right. I was trying to remember the name. 
because that's one situation where they basically remade a character. Mm-hmm. Akila is basically Black Hawk. It's basically Black Hawk. But without, without the science fiction trappings. And it's, is that slain in a warp that's slasm? That's slain and having a warp slasm with Sinead, the um, woman he's hanging around with at the moment. Yeah. And then next to them is the new character, Counterfeit Girl. Who has an interesting first episode. It's very much a Dread-type world. I don't know if it's specifically Mega City 1, but it has that sort of look of when they had Galen DeMarco. Hmm being a detective in, in the undercity of Mega City 1. It's got that bustling big city look. I thought the the art was very reminiscent of Bad Company. Well, again, it's um, Rufus Dayglow. Yeah. Kiwi, expat, shall we say. So there's shades of Ewan's, shades of Jamie Hewlett, Brendan McCarthy, maybe, as well. Mm. Yeah, it looks like a, an interesting one. Uh, yeah, big city, our heroine takes lots of different identities all the time. Um, and I guess the big question is, who is she really? Yes, I, I think the proof of the pudding is still to come with this one. Hmm. I've not read anything beyond issue Prog Two Thousand. I've been going through magazines, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Hmm. Have you uh, gotten any further beyond two thousand AD's two thousandth issue? Yes, I'm going back to the news agent tomorrow to have another wee read. I'm a terrible, terrible person, Dave. <laughs> You're the counterfeit guy. I, I might buy this magazine. I might buy this. <laughs> but um, how lucky are we to have it still around and still in our lives? As I say, a cracking we read, and I'm so glad I bought it. Now, just quickly close off an ad on the next page for Flesh, mm-hmm. which is like one of the other classic stories that's come back. I have to admit, I've not really got into the new Flesh. I enjoyed the spectacle of, at, at, at eight of having giant dinosaurs running around eating people. Cowboys going back in time to hunt those dinosaurs to turn into food to feed the people in the future. Yes, which which I'm sure someone should really have a chat with Hollywood about because I'm sure it seemed as ripped a few, ripped off a few times. Oh yes, and depending on which wraparound cover you got, a nice sort of ensemble cast thing. Oh, I got Thug on a space spinner. I got Thug on a space spinner, but there's another one which is I don't know if it's a pullout poster or something. There is a pullout poster in mine, and yeah, a lot of familiar faces. Yes. You've got Devlin War. I assume it's a Harlem Heroes helmet. You've got Rojaws. You've got Slain. You've got mm-hmm. Rogue Trooper. You've got Chopper, who we've not seen anything of for many years. He'd be, I don't know if we'd want to revisit him. It'd probably be a bit grim. Hammerstein, uh, Mean Machine, Sam Slade. Halo Jones. Well, that's what I was wondering. And that would be the one I'd love to see more of. Mm. I'm assuming that's Halo Jones, though. I think it is. Mm. Art by Cliff Robinson, of course. Uh, we've got um, Satanus from Fish. Mm-hmm. Hint. Other dreaded epics. Devlin War, as you say, yep. Kano, Durham Red. Ace Garp from Ace Trucking. Now, yep. that's coming back. Is it? It is. Behind Nikolai Dante's a potato person from Dread. Possibly. Then there's the Brian Talbot version of Nemesis, above yes. him Zenith. Now, next to Ace Garp is Spike's Harvey Rotten and Twerk from the Cursed Earth. Who, again, when was that? 1978? Mm-hmm. And in front, um, Skiz and Stickleback. Yeah, and it's Skiz, Alan, Alan Moore's own E.T. Yeah. Yes. Marvellous. Yes, so Ace Trucking apparently coming back. The other great and huge news for me is 2018 Alan McKenzie had a bit of a falling out over creator rights. Mm-hmm. And as a consequence, one of Alan McKenzie's finer products, I think, in, in, in my mind, uh, got pretty much pulled from the pages, and that's Summer Magic, or the, the, the <gasps> Journal of Luke Kirby. Oh, good. Grief, because that was meant to be a sort of, like Halo Jones, an ongoing epic that yeah. sort of stalled 
It was 2018's Harry Potter. Well, yeah. apparently an understanding has been reached and the Luke Kirby collection is forthcoming. But is there going to be any closure or is it just going to sort of end where it did? Don't know. It may depend on sales. It may just be, you know, let's wrap this up in a bow as is. Again, it was charting the, the growth of a, a child wizard, mm. but it was that long ago. He's as old as I am and probably getting ready to pack in his day job. Or to, to run Hogwarts and mm. work for the ministry. Yeah. Mm. Lovely to see it back. Um, the great thing about 2018 is even though it has a very long tail and a long history now, never say never. You know, in, in the past two years, we've had Zenith come back to be collected. Again, creator rights with Grant Morrison made that highly unlikely to nearly impossible for mm. many, many years. Oh, Dan Deer, of course. The Dan Deer run. Well, I don't know. I have never found Dan Deer a good fit in 2018. Well, it's where you and I came in with Beyond the Sofa, isn't it, Dave? Yeah. What a time to be alive. Mm, excellent, excellent. And so on that happy note, I, I look forward to discussing Prog 4000 with you. Indeed. Zajaz. Splendig Verthrig, Dave. A couple of things to bear in mind, though. Since we recorded it, I've actually done the prog slog and am now about 75% of the way through. Wow. <laughs> 2000 AD. So a lot of my comments in the episode, I'd probably disagree violently with myself about now. <laughs> I've learned to love Sinister Dexter. They are actually really cool. Goodness. Uh, Nikolai Dante is a classic, very reminiscent of places of the Trigon Empire, which... I've always loved mm. since I was very small. Yes, you have. And you may or may not recall, Peter, but the reason I was complaining about the dearth of new product in there, when you read the episodes from about the 1990s on, mm. I make a comment that there's sort of like no new product, no new heroes, no new big names. And reading it now, I think that's because that's the way the, the prog went. It is. Mm. Lots of short-fire, one-off hero stories they didn't have the they didn't create many of the big heroes again until quite recently mm. and i also wonder if that's to do with rights as creator rights became more of an issue easier to get new blood in to create new stories with new heroes than to try and bring back zenith or i think they got their fingers burnt with rogue trooper because rogue never reinvented well no and there have been several goes at it several bites mm. of the cherry uh, in terms of new heroes, then uh, who have you, uh, apart from Nikolai Dante and, and those two gun sharks, um, Sinister Dexter, who have you bonded with? Um, the thing is, I'm rattling through them at a rate of knots. Are you up to Shikara yet? I've done well. I've done the first Shikara, but I don't know if that. I don't know if it's more than a one-off story with by Henry Flint. Mm, yeah, no, there's there are. Three series of Shikara, I think. Yeah, I've done the first series of Shikara, and that's the. I think part of the thing is I'm now seeing the start of some stories, and going, oh, that's who you are, mm. and then I've still got quite yeah you know, the the more modern catch-ups to mm. go. The Red, Red Tides, I've started. That's good. Yeah. Uh, uh, what about Zombo? I haven't got to Zombo yet. Oh, I think you'll like Zombo. Mm. And uh, what's the other one? Dan Abnett's Kingdom. Uh, I I've read the later Kingdoms. I haven't read the start, so it's all going to be a bit back backwards. Quite like yeah. Stickleback, but again, Stickleback ended about a year or so ago on a mm. cliffhanger, so how that affects the rest of the story, I don't know. But the, the Edgerton Disraeli mix, mm -hmm. who did that... Scarlet Traces, yeah. Uh, Leviathan. Yep. They've done a lot of smaller stories together, all of which work exceptionally well. 
Mm. So I think the thing is, I'm beginning to recognise not new heroes that stand out, but oh, it's these these two writing again. Mm. It's this combination. So until then, it's good night for me, and it's good night for me. Good night. Good night. that was more of a magazine the, the, the magazine characters um, missionary man armitage shimura mm. they i mean they may get their time in the sun when the judge dread magazine which is now you know an anthology comic of some age as well it's got to be getting to nearly 30 years yeah d- definitely that, that's that's going to have some sort of party coming up as well